Ladies and gentlemen, this is Friday, May 28th, 2021. So let's, let's jump straight in. I'm going to share my screen. Let's do some Torah study. We're going to study the 5th, 6th, and 7th readings of the parasha. And it begins with Numbers chapter 10, verse number 11. We read about the journeys. On the 20th, on the 20th, of the twentieth day of the second month in the second year. So just I'm gonna give you the date. Second month is ER. Second year means the year after the Exodus. So it's year two four four nine. So it's ER two four four nine and the date is twenty ER. So twenty ER two four four nine. On that day the cloud rose up over sorry from over the tabernacle of the testimony. Why is this significant? It's significant because the Torah is telling us that for over a year, a little over a year, they stayed in the same place. Remember after, after the Exodus, they went, to Mount Sinai, they went to the Sinai Desert, camped at Mount Sinai, got the Torah, sinned with the golden calf, built the Mishkan. They had stayed in one place with the mountain somewhere nearby in the vicinity, right? The mountain was right, Mount Sinai was right there, wherever there is. And that's where they were encamped. Well, it was finally one year and two weeks later, because the Torah was given on the 6th of year. This is the 20th of year, the next year. So it's a year and 14 days later that finally the cloud rose up. And you know, when the cloud rises, that means that you begin to march. You begin to move. So that's when, verse 12, the children of Israel traveled on their journeys from the Sinai Desert. They were there for a full year building the Mishkan, dedicating it. Month later, they begin to move. And the cloud settled in the desert of Paran. That's where they were meant to encamp next. This, verse 13, was the first journey at God's bidding through Moses. Now, it wasn't the first journey, you know, that was out of Egypt. It wasn't the first first, but it was the first journey at God's bidding through Moses after Sinai, once the Mishkan was built, when the cloud signaling situation had been set. 14. Now, we know this from before, but the Torah tells us how it played out. We, we read it before about how it's supposed to play out, but now it actually does. Rabbi, excuse me? Yeah, sure. So, it's the first time then we're traveling as a Jewish people. Too. Correct. Yes. Yes. Well said. First time traveling as a people formally after receiving our national mandate and marching orders, exactly. Um, okay, so verse 14 tells us how exactly they traveled. Again, we know this because we know the instruction, but here's how it plays out. The banner of the camp of Judah's children. Oh, we know every detail, right? You sound the trumpets, you know, once or twice or short blast, and then this, the eastern camp heads out, then the southern camp, then the western camp, then the northern camp. So here we go. The banner of the camp of Judah's children traveled first. They were the east, according to their legions. Heading the legion was Nachshon, the son of Aminadab. He was the leader of Judah. Heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nathaniel, the son of Tzor. Heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Zebulun, Zebulun, was Eliab, the son of Chelon. Those were the eastern tribes, three eastern tribes. Then the tabernacle was dismantled. Okay, so 
Remember, the eastern flank moves out, and now the tabernacle is exposed. Are you with me? If, if you have surrounding the tabernacle, and the eastern side is moving first, well, now you have one side that's open. Boom. Now the tabernacle is dismantled by the Levites. And the sons of Gershon set out, together with the sons of Merari, who carried the tabernacle. Remember, Gershon and Merari were two of the three families. Gershon carried the curtains and the, and the, the dividing the dividing curtains and the tapestries. Merari carried the, um, the beams and the sockets and the boards, kind of the frame. So Merari is the frame, and Gershon is the, you know, the curtains. And they started, they dismantled the, uh, um, the tabernacle and they started heading out. Then the banner of the camp of Reuben set out. They were on the south. According to their legions, heading its legion of Reuben was Elitzer, the son of Shedeor. And then with them in the south was heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Simeon, Shimon, was Shalumiel, the son of Tzurishate. Heading the legion of the tribe of the children of God was Eliasov, the son of Duel. Those are the three southern tribes. So again, just a clarity. Three tribes on the east start moving. Tabernacle is dismantled and begins being boarded up on the wagons. Remember the, pre, the princes donated wagons? Those were for the boards and the tapestries. Good. Then the, south, the southern tribes move out. Three southern tribes. Then, third family of the Levites. Back to the Levites. The Kahatites, who carried the holy equipment, um, like the ark and the menorah and the altars, right? They set out. And they had erected the tabernacle before they had arrived. They had erected the tabernacle before they had arrived. Um, what I believe that means is that when they would encamp by the next location, the first thing that would happen is the tabernacle would be set up and then the people would camp around it. So it's kind of like previewing how that would work on the other side of the travels. Okay, so you have, again, the eastern tribes, the frame and the curtains of the Mishkan with the Levites, the southern tribes, the holy vessels of the Mishkan with the Kahatites, and then you have now the western tribes. Then the banner of the camp of Ephraim set out, again on the west, according to its legions, heading its legion was Elishama, the son of Amihud, and together with Ephraim, heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Manasseh, was Gamliel, the son of Petatsur, heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Benjamin, was Abidan, the son of Gedoni, those were the three western tribes. In the north, then the banner of the camp of Don, to the north set out, the collector, oh, <laughs> we talked about this before, Don is the collector for all the other camps, the lost and found collector, because they went last. According to its legions, heading its legion was Achiazah, the son of Amishadai, heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Asher, it was done together with Asher and Naphtali, so Asher was Pagil, the son of Achron, heading the legion of the tribe of the children of Naphtali was Achir, the son of Enon. These are the travels of the children of Israel according to their legions, and then they traveled. So, until now, everything was theory. When you travel, this is the order. When you, uh, you know, this is how it should be done. You need some wagons. You need this. You need that. These are the kahats. This is the job of kahat. Then Gershon and Merari. Blah, blah, blah. You have all, we have all the information. The Torah is telling us now how that first journey unfolded. Man, you can imagine it's a lot of coordination. Right? We got three tribes moving out. <laughs> then we got to dismantle, break down the frame and the, and the tapestries, load them up in the wagon, start moving. Southern tribes, you go. All right, now we're going to carry the ark and the menorah and all the, the utensils. Western tribes, you guys are gone. Then the northern tribes fall out. All right, here we go. Verse 29. 
Wow, blast from the past. Then Moses said to Hobab, Chovav, the son of Reuel, the Midianite. Who was this Chovav guy? He was Moses' father-in-law. I know, I know. His name was Yisro or Yitro. So what's with Chovav? Okay, Chovav means love because he loved the Torah so much. He stuck around the Jewish people. He's called, his name here is called love. It's like, it's like his, it's his band name. His name was Yitro, but his like, you know, his, his Jewish Torah name here is, is Chovav. So Moses said to him, remember he came and joined and gave advice about, like back in the day. So he says, a year, a year prior, so Moses said to him the following, we are traveling to the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will be good to you for the Lord has spoken of good fortune for Israel. In other words, he says to his father-in-law, all right, we're, listen, it's been, it's been a nice, we got out of Egypt, we got the Torah, we've been, we've been here for a year, everyone's been hanging around, you get to hang out with the grandkids and the great-grandkids and everything. Maybe, I don't know, whatever. Um, but we're setting off to Israel, we'd love for you to join. His father-in-law says, he said to him, I won't go, for I will go to my land and my birthplace. He's like, no, I'm going to go home, you guys go where you're going to go, I'm going to go back to my, to my land. So Moses says, please don't leave us. For because you are familiar with our encampments in the desert and you will be our guide. It's like, no, don't leave us. We like you with us. And if you go with us, Moses says, then we will bestow on you the good which God grants us. In other words, you're part of us. Now we don't see the answer to the dialogue. right? Moses says, come. His father says, no thanks. And he says, no, really, we want you to come. End of dialogue. We're going to get back to this in a second. Verse 33. They traveled a distance of three days from the mountain of the Lord. Mountain of the Lord would be Mount Sinai, right? And the ark of the Lord's covenant traveled three days ahead of them to seek a place for them to se- seek for them a place to settle. Right? As we said before, the tabernacle had to be set up before, um, before the Jews got there. So the ark went actually three days before, even though it... It started moving once everyone else started moving, but it got to the head of the line and went three days ahead. The cloud of the Lord was above them by day. When they traveled from the camp, it was moving with them, guiding them. Then when it stopped, that's when they stopped. Okay. Um, yeah, Donna, jump in. So Mount Sinai is not Israel then? No, 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 no. Mount Sinai is somewhere between Egypt and Israel. It's somewhere. That's why we don't know where it is. We don't know where it is. It never became holy. It was always, you know, it was top down, like we said in the class, right? It wasn't, um, yeah, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't our choice. It wasn't our, it wasn't our thing. But yeah, it, and it's also, it's out of, on a practical level, it's also out of Israel. I want to pull up some Rashi's about this conversation. So take a look at Rashi on Chovav. I know it's Hobah, but in Hebrew it's Chovav. So Rashi says, yeah, this is Jethro. That's Yitro, Jethro. As it says, of the children of Chovav, the father-in-law of Moses. So what, what does scripture mean by saying they came to the father Ruel? So there's Ruel, there's Jethro, there's Chovav. What's, 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 what's all this business of all these names? It teaches that children call their grandfather father. He had many names. Jethro, because through him a portion was added yesterday in the Torah. Chovav, because he loved the Torah, etc. So basically, his, his real name was 
it seems, was Ru'el, but Yisro, Jethro, because Yeser means additional, so he got like an additional Torah portion, the section about him giving advice about how to judge, that was his addition, Yeser, Yisro, and Chobav, because as I said, because he loved the Torah. Um, oh, look at this. So Moses tells his father-in-law, come with us. Why? Because we're traveling to the place. And what did he mean? Immediately. That was supposed to be the plan. Moses was telling his father-in-law, within three days, we will enter the land. That was the plan. <laughs> Got derailed. Next week, we're going to read about what happened with the spies. Spoiler alert, right? But that was the plan. For on this first journey, they travel with the intention of entering the land of Israel. But because they sinned at the episode of the complainers with the spies, they were punished and did not enter the land until much later, like 40 years. Why did Moses include himself with them if he wasn't going to enter the land? Because the decree against him entering the land had not yet been issued, and at that time he thought he would enter. In other words, why does he say we are traveling to the place if he never ended up in Israel? And so Rashi answers simply because at that point, he thought he was going into Israel. Nothing had yet gone sour to which he was decreed not to go into the land. Does that make sense? Donna, jump in. It's not far. No, it's close. Would have been close to Mount It's on the southern, it's by the southern border. South. You know, I wonder if I have, you know, I do. Hold on. I'm going to bring my Gutnik edition of the Chumash and I'm going to do the old, I'm going to hold it up. Okay, so... Give me a second. I'm going to show you something. What I'll do is I'll actually um, stop sharing my screen so that my screen will be big so you can see it. I wonder maybe there's a way to manually do that now. Uh, let me ask you this. If I hit this, can you see me? Is my picture larger now or no? Nothing happened. Nothing changed. Oh. Oh, well, okay, so I'll stop sharing. And there you go. I'm back. So I wanted to show you the end of the book of Numbers is, I think, where they have this really nice map. It's really, yeah, it's fantastic. So if it's only three days, then we should be able to figure out where Mount Sinai was if we know where they I mean, we know approximately. I mean, look, 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 look. Check this out. Hold on. Um... Okay, I don't know if this, I don't know what kind of scale, you know, to which scale this is, this is drawn in, but these are the travels. Okay? You ready? Yeah. Hold on, wait. Um, oh, wait a second. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. One second, one second. One second. The Jews traveled from the desert Sinai to the Paran, to the Paran destination, and that's when Moses says we're only three days away. So take a look at this. Mount Sinai is somewhere down there in the Sinai Peninsula, somewhere in the south. And then that first journey, again, it wasn't the first because it was out of Exodus, right? But that journey upward was to where, and that's where the conversation happened. And look, I think there's even a a dashed line where they should have gone. They were supposed to go straight into Canaan, which is Israel, right? So they went up and that's Kadesh Barnea. That's where the spies were, were sent from. And then that was it for 40 years. They just went in that circle, in that loop. But that was a three-day journey from there to, to Israel. Meanwhile, what happened was the sin happened. 
They then t- went on a loop, not constantly, but you know, ultimately on a loop for 40 years. And then, at the end of the 40 years, they went into Israel from that way. So this is, a great, this is actually a great map. Um, very handy for many contexts. Um, okay, sure, pleasure. Let's jump in. Let's jump back in. Okay, can you guys see that? Is it coming up? Okay, great, great, great. Um, okay, so and Moses thought he was part of it. We are traveling to the place. Yeah, at that point, he thought he was in. All right, and uh, Ruel Yisro Chovav, his father-in-law, said, no, not for me. Um, I'm going to go to my birthplace, whether, Rashi says, whether for the sake of my possessions or for the sake of my family. In other words, I have stuff there, or I have family there, and, okay. And then Rashi said, sorry, and then, the, and then Moses says back to him, no, please don't leave us. You know, you're familiar with our encampments, you'll be our guide. So Rashi says, the word na, please, is an expression denoting a request. He made this request as he didn't want people to say Jethro did not convert out of commitment for Judaism. Rather, he thought that prostitutes have a portion of the land. Now that he realizes they have no portion, he has forsaken them and gone his own way. Aha. Uh-huh. So in other words, Moses didn't want Jethro to, to be disgruntled and say, oh, so you guys are going to the land. I guess I'm not invited and then I'm out. He didn't want that whole thing to be a thing. He said, please don't leave us. Be part of this. Um, you're familiar with our encampments in the desert. It is fitting for you to do this, to remain with us, since you are familiar with the places in which we will camp in the desert, and you saw the miracles and wonders. Um, okay. Fine. Okay, I want to share one, one more insight, and then we have more to study. We have two more readings, so we're going we're gonna to move forward in a moment. But one thing is, it says that the Ark of the Lord's Covenant traveled three days ahead of them. There's a beautiful allegorical um, teaching on this. You know, what was in the Ark? What did the Ark contain? It contained the tablets, the broken and the whole tablets. In other words, the core of the Torah. So the Ark has the Torah, and the idea here is that Torah is always traveling three days ahead of them. In other words, Torah is ahead of its time. Torah values, Torah insights are always... You know, sometimes people say, oh, Torah, a Bible is old-fashioned. Really? Right? Create time for, take a day, a day off from work to create time for yourself, your family, and your faith and community. That's old-fashioned. Um, I mean, maybe, but it's still, it's, it's forward thinking because these are things that human beings definitely need in our lives. So, Torah is never behind its times. It's always ahead of its times. The two sets of tablets? Yeah, it had both. It had the broken set, which were kept for posterity, as well as the second set that were whole. And, and there's, did it have some of what Moses wrote to interpret the Torah? Did not. That stuff was not written down. Interpretation was not written down. Until much, much, much later, it was just always... The ten, just the Ten Commandments. That was just the Ten Commandments. Now Moses, before his passing, and we studied this in Deuteronomy, wrote a Torah scroll or two or twelve. There were Torah scrolls written at that time that have the five books as we know it. So that was written, that was still written at that time, but it wasn't in the Ark. It wasn't housed. Although there was one Torah that was placed on the ledge of the Ark, right next to the Ark. But that was a little bit later, was kind of put in proximity to the Ark, Um, which is an interesting... 
Anyway, okay, it's, there's, there's mystical insights on that, but we'll leave it for right now. Let's do the sixth reading, and let's welcome Sandrine. Hey, Sandrine, welcome. Good to see you. So Numbers chapter 10, verse 35, and so it was, says the Torah, whenever the ark set out, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered, and may those who hate you flee from you. In other words, as the ark went out before them, it was kind of like, kind of, it was Torah, so it was peaceful, but it was, the Torah was kind of paving the way, the ark, sorry, was paving the way for, for, uh, for their travels. So may your enemies be scattered, and may those who hate you flee from you. In other words, it should, should, the path should be clear, smooth sailing. And when it came to rest, when the ark came to rest, he would say, oh, uh, well, uh, hold on. This verse that we just read, verse 35, is the same verse that we read in synagogues around the world when the, the ark is opened, when our Torah scroll ark is opened. Vayehi b'neso aharon vayomer Moshe kuma Hashem v'yafutsu o'yvecha Right? That's what we literally say. Every time we open up the, the ark of the, that, have, that has the Torah scrolls in the, in the synagogue. So it's not the original ark with the tablets, but it's our ark. We also call it the ark. And um, this idea, this prayer that may Torah and may Hashem kind of pave the way and, and remove all obstacles and preempt all opposition, that is certainly a good prayer. All right, and that's when the ark went out. And when it came to rest, verse 36, and when the ark rested, when they arrived at their destination, Moses would say, Repose, O Lord, among the myriads of thousands of Israel. In other words, Hashem, you should rest. You should be amongst us, the thousands, the myriads of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of Israel. Okay, let's continue. Num- chapters, chapter, whoa, Numbers, chapter 11, and here's where the people go a little bankrupt. I'm kidding or not kidding. You'll see they start complaining. Chapter 11. The people were looking to complain. They were looking to complain. And it was evil in the ears of the Lord. The Lord heard and his anger flared and a fire from the Lord burned among them, consuming the extremes of the camp. So they were complaining. What were they complaining about? Let's see Rashi. Um, They were looking a pretext to complain. His anger flared. Okay, so it doesn't specify. What was the complaint here? I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't complain. Oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is. What did they say? Woe is to us. How weary are we have become on this journey. For three days we have not rested from the fatigue of walking. Yeah. You ever take Jews on a hike? There you go. That's what it is. They were fetching about the hike. Oi, it's a hike, it's hot, I'm schwitzing, oi, oi, gewalt. Right, they were, they were complaining about the, the three-day journey that they had taken or that they were going to take. I don't know, one of those two. So, so Hashem wasn't happy and he consumed the extremes of the camp. The people cried out to Moses. Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. Seems to be a fire that kind of like eliminated some of the complainers at the, at the fringes and then uh, Moses prayed, and the fire was stopped. So he named that place Tavera, or Tavera, which is a fi- which is related to the word fire. Be'er is fire, for the fire of the Lord had burned among them there. 
Tabeira, for the fire of the Lord had burned among them there. You think that was the end of the kvetching? No, no way. But, verse 4, the multitude among them began to have strong cravings, food cravings. Then even the children of Israel once again began to cry, and they said, Who will feed us meat? Where is the beef? We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt, free of charge. Are you kidding me? They were slaves. But revisionist history. We had fish, all you can eat. I guess the Nile River has fish. The cucumbers, the watermelon, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Sounds like my, our chicken soup recipe. Leeks, onions, and garlic. Okay, not watermelons and cucumbers. Don't get any crazy ideas over there. Um, but yeah, at least half of that verse is, uh, is going to be in the chicken soup today. But they're like, we had all this great stuff in Egypt. It was amazing over there. And now, but now our bodies are dried out. Look at this. For there's nothing at all. We have nothing but mana to look at. Only heavenly bread that could taste like whatever you want and arrives on your doorstep. That's crazy. Who wants that? Like, are you kidding me? This reminds us that you can revise and interpret anything you want any way if you so desire. If you want to look at things negatively, you can take the greatest blessing ever and make it sound like the worst. And you can take the worst slavery ever and you make it sound like the best. Are you with me on this? It's all about framing. Oh, you remember Egypt? It was so awesome. We had fish and cucumbers and watermelon and leeks and onions and garlic. That was amazing. And now it's terrible. And you're thinking, am I in like, like are we in an alternative uh, reality here? Is this like, a, a, like another universe? Like what, a parallel universe? Like what just happened? Egypt was amazing and God's embrace, uh, taking care of them in the, in the, in the, in the desert is terrible? I mean, you know the answer, right? They were looking to complain. It's about attitude. Anything could be seen either as a blessing or a curse. Literally, it could be seen as a blessing or a curse. So what determines whether it's a blessing or a curse? Perception. You can have, you, you, can, you can look at Egypt as being a blessing and you can look at the, uh, the matter from heaven as a curse. It's your choice. It's our choice in our lives. So I, I think I mentioned I'm working on a book about guidance from the Rebbe to people, you know, personal letters and guidance and conversations. And I think I mentioned this, maybe this specific example last time as well, because it's, it just resonates so, so strongly with these letters, through these letters. It's like people complaining about things not going right and, oh, it's terrible, it's so difficult, so hard. And the Rebbe is like trying to, trying to get them to see the blessings. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't want anything, you know, you shouldn't want, you know, all good all the time. But to take the thing that's not 100% perfect and make it out to be like the whole definition of, of my life and therefore my life is terrible, it's nishtemes. It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. It's not healthy. It's not, uh, it's not anything. It's not, it's not grateful to Hashem for all the blessings that you do have. Anyway, does it make sense what I'm saying? Yes? All right. Let's move on. I just feel very strongly about that. Let's continue. Now, oh, the Torah. It's like the Torah narrator is like, by the way, about the manna that they were complaining about. Now, the manna was like a like coriander seed, and its appearance was like the appearance of crystal. In other words, it was kind of awesome. The people walked about and gathered it. Then they ground it in, in a mill or crushed it in mortar, cooked it in a pot, and made it into cakes. 
it had a taste like the taste of oil cake. But what our sages say is the fact that you can grind it in a mill, crush it in a mortar, cook it in a pot, or make it into cakes, that, those are not the same things, right? And what that means is you could do anything you wanted with the mana. It was magical food. You could cook it, prepare it, grind it, bake it, whatever you want. You could do it any different way. When the dew descended on the camp at night, the mana would descend upon it. It literally came down from heaven. So the Torah is literally spending three verses to clarify that they were wrong. <laughs> they were complaining about the mana. It's like, bro, the mana was amazing. All right, back to the story. Moses heard the people weeping with their families. <gasps> They're crying. Oh, woe is to us. We want to go back to Egypt. It was so nice. We had so much good food. Moses hears the people weeping, each one at the entrance of his tent. The Lord became very angry, and Moses considered it evil. Moses said to the Lord, <laughs> Moses wants to resign. Why have you treated your servant me so badly? Your servant means me. Why have I not found favor in your eyes that you place the burden of this entire people upon me? Basically, Moses says to God, what do you want from me? I can't deal with these people. I, I, I have nothing to say. They, 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 are, they want to go back to Egypt now. I say, I can't even. Moses says to God, I, what do you want me to do? I, what, did I conceive this entire people? Did I give birth to them that you say to me, carry them in your bosom as the nurse carries the suckling to the land you promised your fathers? What did I do to deserve these people? I didn't give birth to them. If I gave birth to them, it would be my responsibility, thick or thin. But what are you doing to me? You're giving me a, a very tough gig. This is the only time in Torah that we find Moses complaining about his, his, um, his lot. Where can I get, on a practical level, they want meat. Where can I get meat to give all these people? <laughs> Where am I supposed to get meat from? What do you want me to do? Moses says to God. For they are crying on me saying, give us meat to eat. Moses continues, alone I cannot carry this entire people, for it is too hard for me. If this is the way you treat me, please kill me. For I found favor, if I have found favor in your eyes, so that I not see my misfortune. Moses basically says, if this is the way it's going to be, then just take me out. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Pretty, um, pretty strong words, right? Typically, this is not like one of those sections that are like, I, most people are not that super familiar with, but this is a part of the story. So then the Lord said to Moses, assemble for me. God is going to tell Moses, I hear you. We're going to delegate. We're going to share responsibility. You don't have to carry on your own. We're going to create 70 elders, and they're going to help you. Assemble for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, respected, right, people, whom you know to be the people's elders and officers, and you shall take them to the tent of meeting, that's the holy space in the Mishkan, and they shall stand there with you. I will come down, right, my presence will come down and speak with you there, and I will increase the spirit that is upon you and bestow it upon them. In other words, I will kind of magnify my divine spirit and move it to them as well. Then they will bear the burden of the people with you 
so that you need not bear it alone. Once again, like Jethro told him a year ago about um, uh, judging the people that you need to delegate, you can't do it alone. In response to Moses saying, I can't bear this burden of the people alone, God says, okay, you don't have to. Some of the elders, there's going to be people, when the, when the people complain, they're going to go to the elders. And then they'll elevate it to you if, the, if need be, but at least there are other points of contact so that they're not all ganging up on you. And to the people, on a practical level, you shall say, you want meat? Okay, prepare yourselves. Get ready. For tomorrow, oh, sorry, prepare yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. Because you have cried in the ears of the Lord, saying, who will feed us meat? For we had it better in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. So God says to Moses, number one, you're not alone. We're going to create a system of 70 elders. Number two, for the people, you can go tell them, Get ready for tomorrow, there's going to be meat. And it's going to be so much meat. You shall eat it not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, not twenty days. But, sounds like an infomercial, but even a full, for a full uh, sorry, even for a full month, I'm going to give you so much meat. God tells Moses to tell the people, you're going to have so much meat until it comes out of your nose and nauseates you. Because you've despised the Lord who is among you, and you cry before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Moses says to God, 600,000 people on foot are the people in whose midst I am, and you say, I will give them meat, and they will eat it for a full month. Have you done the math? <laughs> God tells Moses, You want to check that? You know how much meat that is? 600,000 people or households for a full month of meat eating? If sheep and cattle were slaughtered for them, would it suffice for them? If all the fish in the sea were gathered for them, would it suffice for them? Where are you going to get the meat from? God? Then the Lord said to Moses, and you could probably script this yourself, is my power limited? God tells Moses, what, you think I can't do it? <laughs> Don't you remember I'm God? Now you will see if my word comes true for you or not. In other words, you're about to see. Verse 24, Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. And he assembled 70 men of the elders of the people. Let me say that again. Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. And he assembled 70 men of the elders of the people. Oh, so step one is getting the 70 elders. And step two is telling the people about the meet. And stood them around the tent, the tent of meeting. The Lord descended in a cloud and spoke to him, to Moses. And he increased some of the spirit that was on him and bestowed it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not continue. Okay, so there was prophecy, but it didn't continue past that, but they were granted a divine spirit on some level to be leaders and elders amongst the people. Now, two men remained in the camp. Two men that were chosen initially, but were not brought to the tent of meeting and did not get the direct spirit of God bestowed upon them. Why? What, what's with two men? So do the math with me. They, so how do you get 70 elders from 12 tribes? So every tribe selected, every tribe selected, one second. Six. Every tribe selected six elders. Six times 12 is 72. So there were 72 elders chosen. Of those 72, they drew lots, and two got the short end of the stick 
two were basically told, yes, you were part of the original 72, but we only need 70, so you two remain behind. You're not going to get the prophecy. You're not going to get the spirit. You're not going to be put in. So the Torah tells us now that these two men, now two men remained in the camp. They, they were from the original selection of six leaders per tribe, but they didn't make the final cut of the 70 elders because there were 72 and there were only 70 that were needed. You with me on the math over there? Make sense? Um, the name of one was Eldad and the name of the second one was Medad. Convenient. Eldad and Medad. And the spirit, oh, the spirit rested upon them even though they weren't by the tent of meeting, even though they weren't inside the holy space. Still, the spirit of God rested upon them because they were part of the original 72. They were among those written Right? Initially, they were the ones written down for the job, for the gig, but they did not go out to the tent because they weren't selected with the lots, but prophesied rather in the camp. So the lad, which is uh, Joshua, ran, Moses' right-hand man, and told Moses, saying, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant from his youth, answered and said, oh, I'm sorry, the lad is somebody else. The lad is maybe Moses' son. Let's see Rashi. Who is the lad? Some say this is Moses' son, Gershom. Okay, so the lad could be Moses' son. Let me toggle Rashi off. Let's get back to where we were. Right, so some say it was Moses' son um, who said to him, Oh no, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. They were from the original two selected. They didn't make the 72 selected, but they didn't make the final cut. But they're still getting prophecy in the camp where everybody else is. Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant from his youth, answered and said, Moses, my master, imprison them. Stop them from saying prophecy. Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Take it easy. If only all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would bestow his spirit upon them. I love that there are more prophets than less. Let everybody be a prophet. So if there's 72 prophets instead of 70, that's also a good thing. By the way, what were they saying? What were Eldad and Medad prophesying about? What was the nature of their prophecy? I'm going to toggle Rashi again. You know what they said? They were prophesying that Moses would die and Joshua would take them into the land of Israel. You see that? Eldad and Medad were saying... Moses will die, and Joshua will be the one to take him into the land. So Joshua, when he hears what he hears a report, he says, "Oh no, imprison them." In other words, I, I he was very humble. He's like, I, "I don't, no one should be talking about me taking over Moses and all that stuff." So you know, put them, depose of them, or dispose of them. Well, whatever, and just at least lock them away. And Moses says, "No way, this is it, this is it." Okay, now that everyone's vertigo from the scrolling back and forth, let's read seventh reading. Let's do this. Then Moses entered the camp, he and the elders of Israel. A wind went forth from the Lord and swept quail. So, one second. So there were two issues, right? Number one, Moses needs help. And number two, the people need meat. So God gave Moses the help, 70 elders, even two more that were saying prophecy. And now we got to feed the people meat. So a wind went forth from the Lord and swept quails from the sea and spread them over the camp about one day's journey this way and one day's journey that way. In other words, as far as the eye could see, there were quails in the sky around the camp about two cubits above the ground. Two cubits is, a cubit is a foot and a half, three feet. So they were like everywhere. The people rose up all day. Oh, I'm sorry. It seems like the quails maybe were piled up 
two cubits above the ground. Right, they, the, the wind swept them in and spread them over the camp. I don't think they were hovering. I think it means that they were literally everywhere, descended upon the camp. The people rose up all that day and all night and the next day and gathered the quails. Even the one who gathered the least collected ten heaps of quails. They spread them around the camp in piles. Okay, maybe they were in the air. Now it's in piles. All right, whatever. Either way, there's a ton of food. The meat was still between their teeth. It was not yet finished. And the anger of the Lord flared against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very mighty blow. I guess God, although he gave them the meat, was unhappy about the way this whole thing had gone down. And there were people who died. And he named that place Kivrot Hataiva, Graves of Craving. For there he buried the people who craved. So those that were the fiercest cravers, or maybe the ones that initiated this whole complaint, they lost their lives, and the place was called Kivrot Hataiva, the graves of the ones who craved. From Kivrot Hataiva, the, the, the narrative continues, from Kivrot Hataiva, from this place, the people traveled to Chatserot, and they stayed in Chatserot. Let's do the final episode of this Torah portion, another interesting episode. Miriam and Aaron... There were three siblings, Miriam, the older sister, Aaron, the brother, and Moses, the baby of the family. This was the birth order, Miriam, Aaron, Moses. So Miriam and Aaron, the two elder siblings, spoke against Moses regarding the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Cushite woman, what does that mean? Remember, his wife came from Midian. She wasn't part of the Jewish family. She was an outsider, but he had married her, and she had converted, but... The issue, what they were speaking about, was the fact that Moses had separated from his wife. Why had Moses separated from his wife? Because Moses was on call with God. And to be on call with God means that you had to be in a state of ritual purity. If you recall from a few weeks ago, there are different causes of ritual impurity, one of which is intimacy. Even though it's only you know, a mikvah and a day and whatever it is, it's, only, it's a very short interim thing. Nonetheless, as being on call from God 24-7, Moses, I don't know if he separated, separated, but he wasn't intimate with his wife. And that's what they were speaking about. And they said, what's he doing? They said, has the Lord only spoken to Moses? Hasn't he spoken to us too? In other words, and we're still married. We're still with our spouses. This is sibling talk. This is a thing that siblings would say about a, a younger sibling. The older siblings, what's up, with, what's up with Moshe? Like, why isn't he... Um, you heard what's going on with, 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 he and his, with him and his wife? It's, you know, we're also prophets. Aaron was, and God spoke to Moses, and Aaron, God spoke to, to Aaron and, and, and Miriam, each in their own way. So, and, and we're living a normal family life. What's, what's up with, uh, with, with our brother? And the Lord heard. God overheard the conversation. Now, this man, Moses, was exceedingly humble, more so than any person on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Moses gets schlepped in on this, even though he wasn't there when this narrative went down. Obviously, they were speaking about him, not to him. God says to them, go out, all three of you, to the tent of meeting. In other words, that's it. Everyone out from your tents, your personal tents. Meet me in the tent of meeting. Meet me in the Mishka. And all three went out. The Lord descended in a pillar of cloud. Now, now they're in trouble. The Lord descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. He called to Aaron and Miriam, and they both went out. He said, Please listen to my words. If there be prophets among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. In other words, most prophets, all prophets, 
only know God in a vision or in a dream, not directly. Not so, my servant Moses. He is faithful throughout my house. He's on a different level. When I speak, sorry, with him I speak mouth to mouth, in a vision and not in riddles. And he beholds the image of the Lord. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He addresses their, 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 uh, their question. Why is Moses different? And God says, because I relate to him on a different level. Yeah, you guys get prophecies, but yours is in a riddle, and a dream, and an altered state. But Moses is face to face with me. He's got to be fully present, and I'll call always. How are you not afraid to speak about him? The wrath of the Lord flared against them, and he left. Now, the cloud departed from above the tent. And behold, Miriam was afflicted with Sarat. Remember Tzorat? Remember we said it's not a skin ailment. It's not leprosy. But it's a, it's a consequence for what? Speaking negatively about someone else. Gossiping. How do we know this? This story right here. The, tent, the cloud goes up, and behold, Miriam was afflicted with Tzorat, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned to Miriam, and behold, he saw that she was afflicted with Tzorat. Now, why was only she and not him? Because she was the one doing the speaking. If you look back at the beginning of this narrative, it says Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. The meaning is that Miriam said this to Aaron. So that's why she got the, the, the most visible outcome which, or consequence, which, which is the Tzorat. Now, Aaron said to Moses on her behalf, Please, Master, do not put sin upon us for acting foolishly and for sinning. Let her, let our sister Miriam, not be like the dead, which comes out of his mother's womb with half his flesh consumed. How could she live like this? With Tzorat, you got you to gotta put in a good word with God. Moses cried out to the Lord, so he did. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, I beseech you, God, please hear you. Please hear her. Kel na refa na la. Please, God, I beseech you, please heal her. The Lord replied to, me, to Moses, if her father were to spit in her face, would she not be humiliated for seven days? In other words, if she did something to, to disrespect and her father was upset, would she not be humiliated for seven days? She shall be confined for seven days outside the camp and afterwards she may enter. In other words, yes, okay, I'm going to pull back on this, but she's out, she's in timeout now for seven days, quarantined outside the camp like someone who has Surat. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days and the people did not travel until Miriam had entered, which is actually a beautiful coming full circle. If you recall, Miriam had waited while Moses, when Moses was a baby, three months old, and put in a basket on the Nile River. It was Miriam who was waiting on the banks to see what happened with Moses. And when the daughter of Pharaoh, Bacha, rescued him, she said to her, oh, do you need a... Uh, a wet nurse? I know someone, and she got her mother to actually nurse Moses. So she took care of her brother by waiting. She, you know, her mother, mother put the baby in the basket and couldn't, you know, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't bear to watch. But Miriam waited there. And the, our sages say in the merit of Miriam waiting for Moses, the people waited for her for the seven days that she needed in the quarantine. And that's the end of that story. And then the Torah portion ends, the people departed. From Chatzerot, and they encamped, and they camped in the desert of Paran, 
which is where the next episode takes place, which is the sin of the spies. Okay, let me see if I can pull up some Rashi. Let's double check if there's a Rashi here. Yeah, let's just read this. This honor of the people did not travel. This honor was accorded to her by the omnipresent because of the time she remained with Moses when he was cast into the river. As it says, his sister stood by him from afar to know what what would be done to him. This is from Exodus chapter 2, verse 4. It says that Miriam waited for him. She waited by him. She waited nearby him. And so the people likewise waited by her and did not travel until she was out of quarantine. Okay, so that is... That is, um, that is the Torah portion. That's the Parsha. Um, what's the moral of the story? Let's not speak about each other. Even if we think that we have something really uh, you know, important to say. And at the end of the day, if you have a question about Moses, then, and you're a sister and you're a concerned sister, so who should you go to? Go to Moses, right? Go to Moses. Could speak to him, say, hey, listen, I hear what's going on. Are you okay? Is everything fine? You know, are you sure you still can't be with your wife? But to go to your brother about your other brother, Lashon Hara, even if it's under the guise of trying to help, but you're, you're going behind the person's back. All right, Mishnah. Here we go. We're going to do a few quick Mishnayot and then we're going to close it out. I know it's, uh, we're a little bit uh, I don't know, late, but it's 12.57 already, but we're going to jump, we're going to continue with this Mishnah. Chapter 6 of Brachot. Let me see how many Mishnahs there are. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. We'll see how far we can get. Maybe we'll do 4. Maybe we'll do half. The Mishnah discusses blessings recited over various foods. That's nice. Before we eat, here are the blessings. How does one recite a blessing over fruits? Over different fruits that grow in a tree, one recites the blessing who created fruit of the tree with the exception of wine. Although wine is produced from fruit of the tree, due to its, its significance, its blessing differs from other fruits of the tree. Esbore priha eats is for the tree. By the way, it happened this week, a few days ago, overnight, our peach tree was completely picked completely not a re- there were hundreds of peaches one day the next day zilch i googled it immediately I'm like what it's not even possible apparently squirrels and raccoons could empty peaches in a matter of hours and i actually saw a few days before a squirrel from the power lines run down grab a peach and bounce a whole peach in its mouth never did i believe that we would have to act quickly. I thought the worst that's going to happen is they're going to bite some peaches, and then when we pick them, it's going to be half-bitten, which has happened before. But a whole tree gone? It's unheard of. But apparently, when you just Google it, on, when I Googled it, it's not an uncommon thing. I was shocked. Leah comes home two days ago from school. She's like, what happened to the tree? I'm like, I have no idea. She's like, all the peaches are gone. Even the ones at the top. I'm like, even those you can't reach. But who can reach? A squirrel can reach. So for all those that I've said, come over for peaches. This year, no peaches for us? You mean? There were peaches three days. 
There were peaches three days ago, but as of two days ago, there are no peaches. Oh, no. I know. That's what I'm saying. We had given out. We had. So I don't know. I'm I'm starting to have a beef with squirrels right now. Ah, oh, no. uh, squirrels were nice until they it was they. Fun to, to just walk there and. You know, we, we put it out for a few days. The kids took to their friends and their teachers. And we had, I mean, we had picked, actually Lay did most of the picking and, and the kids also, I didn't do much. Um, they had picked like a good few hundred, like a good like 150, 200 peaches. But there were another few hundred peaches on that tree. I, I mean, it's, it's like, it's crazy. Wow. It just got... Are you sure it's not, uh, what's that organization, which is for a good cause? Um, they come, you know, it's... How do you get to the tippy top of the tree? There's no way. Oh, I'm in sure in middle of the to day to come over to someone else's tree and just raid the tree? I don't think so. No. Okay, it's got to be an It's got to be an animal. It's got to be. It's got to be. And I Googled it. And apparently it's, again, it's, it's, it's quite common. Maybe not in urban areas as much, but... There were some emboldened uh, squirrels. Anyway, wow. either way, that's our, listen, it could have been, a, might have been a person. I don't believe that anyone did that. I, I don't, I, I can't imagine on any level, practically, ethic, I, I just, I don't, I don't see it as a no, thing. No, I was just thinking of that organization. It's called, yeah. uh, it's a great organization, Concrete Jungle, I think. Yeah, Concrete Jungle, yeah. Uh, you know, Russell's, and uh, she's the founder. She's being recognized, actually, with by Federation. Oh, yeah? Annual meeting this year. Uh, nice. In a few uh, weeks uh, for that. And uh, so they go to uh, fruit trees and, um, yeah, pick up and give to people who need it. Yeah. I, I wish that we would have taken everything off, because the squirrels can find other food, I believe. But... I wish we could have taken it off before. We didn't know. Next year we'll know to get it early. Yes, but I guess I have to go to the farmer's market. I know, I know. It's, uh, it was very unfortunate and disappointing. But what are you going to do? At least someone's eating, even if it's squirrels. All right, so, so when you eat fruit from the tree, you say, Bore Priha eats, uh, which is the blessing for the fruit of the tree. Now, over wine, one recites, um, who creates fruit of the vine? Bore Priha Gafen. Over fruits that grow from the earth, one resides who creates fruit from the ground, with the exception of bread. So you say, Bore Priyadama, but not bread. bread. Bread, too, is significant, and its blessing differs from other fruits of the ground, as over bread one resides, who brings forth bread from the earth, Hamotzi Lechem Over herbs and leafy vegetables, one resides who creates fruit from the ground. Again, Bore Priyadama. Rabbi Yehuda says that there is room to distinguish between fruits that grow from the earth, herbs, and leafy vegetables, although they are all fruit of the ground, since they have different qualities, the, the blessing of the latter is who creates various kinds of herbs, but we don't hold like that opinion. All right, the mission now discusses how, sorry, the mission discusses how after the fact, a more general blessing exempts one from the obligation to recite a more specific one. One who recited, who creates fruit of the ground over fruit of the tree, fulfills his obligation. Because technically, even the fruit of the tree is coming from the ground, right? Yes, right, everything comes from the ground. One who recited who creates fruit of the tree over fruits of the earth, though, did not fulfill his obligation. If you say Bori Priates, who creates fruit of the tree, when you eat a carrot, that doesn't work because carrots don't come from trees, they come from the earth. You with me on that? If you say Bori Priyadama, um, you thank God who creates fruit from the ground, when you eat the peach, you're fine because peaches, although they come, they grow on trees, the tree is connected to the ground, so that covers everything, theoretically. But if you say Bori Priyates, 
the blessing of fruits from the tree. When you're eating a carrot or a potato, you did not fulfill your obligation because it does not grow on a tree. And over all food items, when we recited Shahakot and that by whose word all things came to be, fulfilled his obligation, that is the general catch-all blessing. All right, two more. And over a food item whose growth is not from the ground, one recites, Shahakal Niyabidvaro, by whose word all things came to be. And over vinegar, wine that fermented and spoiled, and over novlo, dates that spoiled, and over locusts, yum, gross. One recites, again, Shahakal Niyabidvaro, by whose word all things came to be. So too over milk, and over cheese, and over eggs, right? Dairy, one recites, cheesecake, well, no, not the cake, but whatever. Cheese and dairy products, one recites, the same blessing. By whose word all things came to be, Rabbi Huda says, over any food item that is a type resulting from a curse, one does not recite a blessing over it at all. None of the items listed uh, exist under normal conditions, and they come about as a result of a curse. Why do they come as a result of a curse? Let's find out what that means. Um, Here we go. So vinegar is cursed because it spoiled wine. Fall, I guess they didn't use it as salad dressing. Fallen unripe fruit, fallen unripe fruit, can be eaten, but it's cursed because it didn't stay on the tree until it reached full ripeness. I'm just thinking about my peaches and my peach trees and my peaches that fell before the squirrels got it, and I'm just I'm being sad all around here. Um, anyway, locusts um, are cursed because they destroy crops. So anyway, all of these items here, why is dairy problematic? Maybe dairy is not included. But anyway, these first items, vinegar, spoiled dates, locusts, is shahakal. And Rabbi Yehuda says, nope. Nope. All right, next, last one, I think. Um, on a different note, if there were many types of foods before him, over which food should he recite a blessing first? Right? If you have a, a whole dinner and you have fruit and vegetables and bread and wine and water and you know, have all this stuff. So, so the, the Rabbi Huda says, if there is one of the seven species for which the land of Israel was praised, among them he recites the first blessing over it. And the rabbis say he recites a blessing over whichever of them he wants. Then it talks about exemptions... Let's just do this quickly. So the Mishnah explains those cases and those circumstances in which blessings are said over foods exempt other foods at the meal from other blessings. In other words, you don't say a blessing every food necessarily on every food that you eat. One could exempt others. So one who recited a blessing over the wine that one drank before the meal, let's say Kiddush, so with that blessing he exempted the wine that he drinks after the meal. Or after the meal, yeah, after the meal started. Similarly, one who recited a blessing over the appetizers that one ate before the meal, with that blessing exempted the appetizers that he eats after the meal has begun. One who recited a blessing over the bread exempted the appetizers as they are considered secondary to the bread. However, one who recited a blessing over the appetizers did not exempt the bread. So, Akibet Shammai says the blessing recited over the appetizers did not exempt even a cooked dish that he eats during the meal. So, the difference of opinions, but basically, if you recite the blessing over wine before the meal, that carries through for the meal. The blessing over other foods carries over for the meal. And the blessing over bread exempts other blessings. So that's why by a Shabbat meal, for example, we say Kiddush on the wine, and that exempts all the wine. And then we wash our hands and eat the bread. And at that point, you don't have to say blessings over each individual item. 
when you eat the fish and you eat the salad and you eat the, the chicken soup and you eat the kugel, you don't say individual blessings on that meal because you've already washed for bread and said the hamotzi and the hamotzi exempts all subsequent blessings for that meal. Except for dessert, by the way. Dessert, since it's considered to be not part of the meal but after the meal or in addition to the meal, so that's not exempted by, by the, uh, the, the bread blessing. I hope that makes sense. Um, does that make sense? We should do a blessing of a dessert, like on Shabbat? We should. We should. Absolutely. Yes. So if you have a Shabbat meal, so first of, you start off with the Borei Priyagaf and the Kiddush over the wine. Then you wash your hands and say the blessing for bread. And at that point, you're good. No more blessings for the meal and, until the blessing after meal, right? But if you have dessert before, even, even if it's before you bench, before the blessing after meal, if you have, you bring out chocolate cake, right? You have to say mizonot. You have to say, you have to say the blessing over the, over the cake. Okay. Yeah. Before yeah. the blessing after e- meal. Even before, right. Certainly after. Once you say the blessing after the meal, then, then the fact that you wash on bread before doesn't count. Even if you have a cup of water after that, you have to say the blessing over the cup of water. So once you bench, that resets the, the setting. But even before you bench, if it's dessert, then you, um, then you say a separate blessing because dessert, although, it could be, although it's eaten during the meal, perhaps, it's not considered part of the meal. It's considered to be an outside thing. All right, an additional halacha is cited. If several people were sitting to eat not in the framework of a joint meal, in other words, you have people sitting in the same area, but they're not eating together, so each recites a blessing for himself. If they were reclining on divans to eat, which renders it a joint meal, one recites a blessing on behalf of them all, which is, I don't know if we do that. Additionally, if wine came, let's see, do we have commentary on this one? Hold on. Nope. Do this, try to do this quickly. Um... Because one person can bless on behalf of them all, okay? Additionally, if wine came before them during the meal, each and every diner recites a blessing over the wine for himself. If the wine came after the meal, one recites a blessing on behalf of them all. And he who recited the blessing over the wine also says the blessing over the incense, mugmar, although they only bring the incense to the diners after the meal. And if you wonder who's bringing incense to the meals, well, I guess back in the day, apparently that's what they did. All right. If, if they brought salted food before him to eat first and bread with it, he recites a blessing over the salted food and thereby exempts the bread because the salted food is primary while the bread is secondary to it. This is the principle. Any food that is primary and a secondary food is with it, one recites a blessing over the primary and in so doing exempts the secondary from its own blessing. So for example, I'm trying to think of an example. If you have a salad that has, I don't know, whatever, different food items that are blended together or, or that it's kind of a mashup, you go by whatever's primary and then that's how you, you satisfy that food dish. One who ate, final Mishnah, one who ate from the fruit for which Eretz Yisrael was praised, Israel's praised, grapes and figs and pomegranates, recites the three blessings of grace after meals as he would after eating bread. This is the statement of Rabbi Gamliel. And the rabbis say one need only recite one blessing abridged from the three blessings of grace after meals, which is what we do. Rabbi Akiva says the three blessings of grace after meals are not re- restricted to bread, rather even if one ate boiled vegetables. But it is his primary sustenance he recites the three blessings of grace after meals. Again, we don't do this. We only say the grace after meals, which is the longer thing, when we have a bread meal. Additionally, one who drinks water to quench his thirst recites by whose word all things came to be. Rabbi Tarfin says he recites who creates the many forms of life and there needs different blessings all found in the prayer book. What's the point? 
The point is, thank God for what we have before we eat and after we eat as well. The ones that are done after the meal are biblical in nature. The ones before the meal are rabbinic in nature. The rabbi said, be kind, rewind, or be nice and thank God twice. Nice and twice rhymes. I'm a poet, and I just began to know it. My friends, thank you for joining me this week. Well, today and this week for DPP. We covered Bahalotcha. We did a few chapters of the Mishnah, Tractate Brachot. Thank you for being part of the journey. I want to wish you a good Shabbos. May all your blessings be over good things. May we have abundance in everything that we need and want. And assuming that it's, you know, on the up and up. And, of course, and uh, may we take the, uh, the inspiration of the Torah portion into this week, into the Shabbos. And we know that Shabbos blesses the upcoming week, so the upcoming week as well should be a week of blessing. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. And um, I look forward to seeing you next week. Shabbat Shalom. Don't forget. Sunday night is what time? Sunday night, we're starting at 8 p.m. Because, because, because... It's too early to start to film. Yeah, it's too, it's too light. So calling everybody at 7.30, then we just have to, it becomes a little bit, I don't mind, you know, kind of schmoozing, but I figured if we, if we all arrive at 8, then by the time we eat, we have really good Israeli food. We're going to have a buffet, like falafel and Israeli salad and hummus and tchina and baba ganoush and like build your own pita adventure, like really good food. So you know, by the time everyone puts it together and eats, it'll already, oh, hey, I didn't know you were here. <laughs> what? Riva? What are you doing home? She finished school a few days ago. She home no, she graduated. Pre-K. A few days ago. Wednesday. She's done. She's done until summer camp starts. She's doing bubble wrap. Riva, I think that that's the sign that we should check out. Anyway, what's my point? Sunday night, 8 o'clock. We'll do food, and then we'll have a nice segue into the film. It's a beautiful film. It's a subtitled film. It's going to be a lot of fun. Israeli, yeah, The movie. Women's Balcony. I, I've not seen it, but I've heard tremendous things about it, so I'm yes. super excited. Um, and then we have... Uh, Ray and Donna, you're coming? Oh. Yeah. Awesome. Good. And one final note. I just rele- We just uh, sent out an email today about an amazing event next month with a young man who grew up in Cairo, grew up in Egypt, he grew up hating Jews, being taught to hate Jews. Rahman al-Litzlan got right, may Hashem protect us. And as a young man, when he got older, he decided to explore for himself, and he taught himself Hebrew, and he began studying and reading Israeli literature and newspapers and everything. And he realized there's much more to the story, and he is now a human rights advocate, and he advocates for Israel and for Jewish people and for... Of course, his brothers and sisters as well, but he advocates for peace and moving away from the hate rhetoric. And so he's going to be with us. He's a trem- it's got a tremendous story. I hope I didn't give too much away, but he's going to tell all the details of his story because he had reprisals and they, he, was, he was tortured and everything. Anyway, he's going to tell his story to our community next month. Can you hold on for one second? Thank you. Um, June 20th, 7 p.m. Join us live for that. It's called Escape from Cairo. It's on our website, Escape from Cairo. You don't want to miss it. It's online on Zoom, 7 p.m., Sunday, June 20th. Be there or be square. 
All right, my friends, we'll see you soon. Shabbat shalom. Take care, everybody. Bye.